Our goals and our aims define us in some pretty significant ways. Our goals, our ambitions, what drives us and moves us shapes who we are. It shapes the way that we spend our time. It shapes what we think about. It shapes what we read. It shapes who we spend time with. It shapes a lot about who we are, our goals and our ambitions. We talked last week about this passage. We're going to actually be back in Philippians 3, 1 through 11 tonight, but focusing more on verses 10 and 11. But last week we talked about these two games that really contrast. They, they weren't games like Sorry and Candyland that are very popular in my house right now, but these are games that are are definitive about your life and identity. Games that, in a sense, using that word very loosely, um, that define the way that we spend our life, what we're uh, putting our energy into and what we're seeking to become. And one of the things we saw last week was that Paul says there's no way you can play this game and this game at the same time. You can't play both games. And in a sense, that's his argument against his, his opponents here in this text, the, the Judaizers, who were trying to add something to Christ. Saying Christ plus something makes you okay, makes you somebody. And Paul says, no, no, it's, it's Christ and Christ alone. That's, that's, the, that's this, the, the game that God has set up. Where identity is received by, by God in Christ and not something that we go out and manufacture and make by some kind of achievement or merit. So one of the reasons that you can't play both games at the same time is because the goals of the two games are fundamentally opposed. They're mutually exclusive. You can't follow the goals of the, of the game that's called keeping up with the Joneses and also follow the goal of the game that's called knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. These two goals, uh, the, the goals of these two games are actually mutually exclusive. They're fundamentally opposed to one another. So I want to look just, to, just briefly at, at these goals again. Some of this is by way of review. And then I want us to actually look more closely at the goal of Paul's life. We're in a series called The Missional Life. And one of the things that, that this passage of Philippians does for us is it, it really opens a window into the heart and the mind and the drive of one who lives a missional life. And that's what we'll see as we look at, at, uh, at the goal that Paul lives with that arises out of this text. And I just want you to ask yourself this question as we begin this, this time together. What's the goal of your life? What is the goal of your life? What, what motivates you? What makes you tick? What drives you? What makes you afraid such that if you weren't going to get it, you'd be pretty afraid or, or pretty disappointed? What's the goal of your life? Keep that question in your mind as we look at these verses together. Let me say, though, that the, the goal in the world's game, the goal in the game of making a name for yourself or keeping up with the Joneses is simply this. It's an increase in status or achievement, which also is connected to status. It's an increase in something that you've done in the eyes of your fellow human beings. It's a growth of this kind of status or achievement. Why is that? Why is it that the world's game, the game that we all have played so many times, so often, it's because the, the, one's value and identity in this game is based upon human merit, achievement, or status. Your value, your identity, what makes you okay, fundamentally okay, is who you are, remember we saw last week, by birth, or what you've done by achievement, which also connects to who you are. And so if that's the, the fundamental value, then the goal of your life in that game is to, is to increase your level of achievement, your level of accomplishment, your level of status in the eyes of those around you. That's the goal. 
And those are the things that you boast in. Those are the things that you glory in. Those are the little things that you drop into conversation from time to time that you want other people to notice. Those are the things that you take great pride in. And this kind of goal, if this is our goal, to increase in status and increase in, in our achievements, this goal produces a kind of life that's marked by upward mobility. By climbing up and up and up in the eyes of people around us which actually can end up using people, friends, family, strangers, as means to your end of increasing. Kind of stomp all over people or maybe just ignore people because they're not uh, an integral part to your goal of growing greater. This game, obviously, this goal of, of the world's game produces a, and nurtures really pride Deep, in, deep within us, a pride that, that begins to think of ourselves as better than other people and ultimately a superiority complex. We talked about that line that gets driven down the middle that there are those who have and those who don't have. There are those who have attained and those who haven't, depending upon what your frame of reference is. And so this, this, this goal produces a pride and a superiority complex in us. Now contrast that for a moment with the goal that we see of Paul's life as he says it in this text. The goal is simply this, to know Christ. To know Christ. Now, just note for just a moment that we talk a lot in this uh, church plan about wanting to be missional. We talk about the, 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 the desire that we have to be a missional community. That's why we're looking at a missional life. But note for just a moment that though Paul is perhaps the greatest missionary that's ever walked the earth, he doesn't say his goal was to be missional. And I think that's a really important distinction for us. If we set our goal as something measurable, something that, that, that's more tangible than knowing Christ, we're bound to be disappointed. We're bound to find that when the things are, are difficult or when we're suffering from just the, the brokenness of the world, that, that we, be, we begin to be disillusioned. But if the goal remains to be knowing Christ, there's nothing, no circumstance, no failure, no personal moral failure, no, no a communal failure. There's nothing that can withhold us from growing deeper in that goal. So the goal is to know Christ. If you've got your Bible, you see this very clearly in verses 8, 9, and 10, where Paul says that he counts everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then he just keeps repeating these kinds of things. He says, I count everything as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Verse 9. Or verse 10, that I may know him. That's what he longs for, to know Christ. Now, why? Why is this the goal in this other game? Why is the goal to know Christ? It's simply this, because our value and our identity is something that God has given us, what we call, could call, as Paul does in this text, righteousness, our right standing before God, our vindication before him, being somebody, being okay, is something that God gives to us by faith, based upon the faithfulness of Jesus, based upon the person of Jesus, based upon all that God has done in Christ and in Christ alone. Not in Christ plus anything else, but in Christ. So the boast in this game is not in my own achievements or accomplishments. But as verse 3 says, we glory in Christ Jesus. Same word there for boasting. We boast in Christ Jesus. 
boasting in Christ Jesus, who has done so much. There's no way of living this kind of life, of seeking and longing to know Christ, of this being the goal that unifies your heart and your mind, apart from recognizing and seeing all that God has done for you in Christ. All that God has done for you in Christ. He says it elsewhere in Galatians 2 that it's Christ who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Christ who loved me and gave Himself up for me. Who cleansed us. 1 Corinthians 6. You were washed. I went to a small liberal arts school in in Memphis, Tennessee called Rhodes College. And one of the uh, traditions during freshman orientation is that they go out to the back 40. I can't remember what we called it. Um, and, and they have like a mud football match, basically. And everybody just gets covered in mud. And the reality is, and probably some of you have played a game like that before, but the reality is when you finish a game like that, you're just covered. They're, the white shirts are now brown, dark brown. And your skin is brown, and everything's brown because of the mud that's, that's covered over you. And that's the picture that we need to have of ourselves, spiritually speaking. And the game of the world says that you can try your hardest to kind of wash yourself off by doing more and becoming somebody great, being okay, scratching that itch that that fundamentally gnaws at your soul that you're not okay. But the glorious, wonderful news of the gospel, the good news, we always preach good news. The good news is that God has made a way, that He's washed you clean through the death of His Son. That what He's done in Christ has cleansed you through and through and made you new in Christ Jesus. So it's in seeing this, all that Christ has done, God has done in Christ on your behalf, that then enables this goal to really take root in the heart. And enables us then to lay down everything else that we would typically take our identity from, that we would value, that we would glory in. Paul says, I count it all as loss. And this is why. Because I am who I am by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. I am nothing else but what I have been made by Christ. And that's it. And that leads ultimately to a conformity to Christ that we'll look at here in a moment. And instead of to using others, to serving others, and instead of to pride and superiority, it leads to humility. Every one of us was as dirty as the person after the mud bowl. Every one of us was cleansed by the same grace and the same love of Jesus Christ shed on the cross for us. There is no distinction. There is no partiality. There is no one who's, who's better, who's more advanced. There's no one. There's no distinction. In God's game, everyone stands on the same footing. Everyone. So, the goal of Paul's life is to know Christ. To know Christ. Let's take just a closer look at that goal. There's a singularity of focus in the Apostle Paul. There's a singularity of focus. He says he casts off everything. Everything. So that he might know Christ. All of the distractions, everything that he could put his mind and heart into, he puts off to the side for this one purpose of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. So there's this great singularity of focus. Now some of us would say, well, if 
If I was going to be that singularly focused on knowing Christ, this one who has done so much for me, I might turn into some kind of a religious freak. And I don't want to be a religious freak. There's a fear there, isn't there? There's a fear that if I have this kind of passion, if I, if I try to emulate this kind of enthusiasm and, and single-mindedness for Jesus, I'm going to turn into somebody that's kind of despicable, somebody that I don't really want to, want to be. There's a fear there. And, and obviously the, the biblical response to that is no, absolutely not. That those who have a singularity of focus upon knowing Christ Jesus, their Lord, are the most fully alive and fully human people that walk this earth. They're not one-dimensional, but they're singularly focused. They're beautiful people. People who are alive because God is living in them. You might say, well, I'm afraid that if I have this kind of singularity of focus that I'll have to become a pastor or a missionary. That's sometimes the way that we do this in the church. We say, well, you know, that's a pretty elevated position. That's something more important. If I really love Jesus, then I'll give my life to him vocationally. And again... Being a pastor is not that bad, but uh, <laughs> again, there's this, there's this movement away which says, no, you can be an artist, you can be an engineer, you can be a businessman, you can be a scholar, you can be a, a um, fill in the blank, and you can be one for Jesus. God's wired us all differently, he's made us all differently, he's called us all differently. But the, the, the kicker is, and you can do this as a pastor and a missionary just as much as you can as a businessman or an artist, is you don't live for yourself anymore. Because you have the singular focus of knowing Christ Jesus, your Lord, that everything that you do is oriented around this one purpose, this one goal to know Jesus. And so while you have these secondary callings and purposes and goals that are connected to the, to the, to the specific way and gifts that God has wired you, they're all oriented and, and drawn together in this one deep, deep desire and passion to know Jesus. And you're not living for yourself anymore, whatever your vocation may be, but you're living to know him as Lord. So against a double-mindedness, there's this singularity of focus. There's also this continuity of purpose. Paul doesn't just say, well, I met Jesus. He's, he's describing his encounter with Jesus in, the, in these great <coughs> verses. He doesn't just say, well, I met Jesus and therefore now I kind of know him and so I check off the box of religious compartment. And that box is now neat and tidy. I'm taken care of there. So now I go on and do what I'm going to do with my life and in my life. And we have this tendency, don't we, to compartmentalize the lives that we lead. But actually his, his overriding and unfading ambition, the thing which animates his every day, and directs his steps, his thoughts, his mind, is this desire, this goal to know Jesus. And not in a way of knowing that's kind of like we read about it in a book or I heard about it in a sermon, but a way of knowing that's deeply personal and intimate, like a father knows a son, like a husband knows a wife. This is the kind of knowing that provides us continuity, longevity of purpose for every day that he lives. And we'll see this more next week in verses 12 through 16, where we read about this explicitly. This knowing Christ, this goal of knowing Christ, implies a sharing of his mind. Remember uh, chapter 2, verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. 
sharing his mind, and not only sharing his mind, but sharing the pattern of his life. And that's what Paul gets at in, in verse 10. As he says, he's kind of expanding on this, this surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, that I may know him. And then you get glory and suffering. Glory and suffering. These two things always go together in the Christian life. You don't have a part in the resurrection if you don't have a part in the sufferings of Christ. Our culture doesn't like to hear that very much. We don't, our flesh doesn't like to hear that very much. But that's what Paul's saying is that in order to know Christ, the, the, the way in which his knowledge of Christ deepens is by his life being formed after the pattern of Christ's life. So he wants to know him and the power of his resurrection. What is Paul saying there? He's saying that he's not content to live a humdrum kind of Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday night Christian life. He's saying that it's, it's not enough for him. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. The same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that Paul longs to know in his life, in his day-to-day -day experience. But lest we think that that power is some kind of triumphalistic, happy-clappy kind of life in the world, the next thing that he says is the manner in which he knows him, not only by the power of his resurrection, but in the fellowship of his sufferings, the koinonia of his sufferings, the intimate participation in his sufferings. This is necessary for those who are united with the Messiah, those who have been brought into his life, find that they share in the sufferings of Christ before he returns. And a key to this, I think, is, is this next phrase that says, becoming like him in his death. The word there is actually um, the same root as morphe, being for, in the, found in the form. Go back to the, the hymn in, in, in uh, Philippians 2 where it says, he was in the form of God, but did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking on the form of a servant. In this verse, Paul says, I want to be conformed. I want to find the form of his death. What was the form that Christ took? He took the form of a servant. So instead of in the world's game, taking the higher place, in this game that God has introduced in Christ Jesus, it's taking this lower place a form being conformed to the likeness of his death is taking the form of a servant who pours out his or her life in, voluntary, in the voluntary sufferings of love. That is what the cross represents. Jesus took up the cross voluntarily, of course, in obedience to his Father and in love for the world. And so when Paul says he wants to be conformed to the likeness of his death, he's saying, I want to take on the form that Christ took on in his life. And that is the mode in which your knowledge of Christ will grow and become more intimate and real. Is as we take that form in our very lives. And it's that form of a servant where we will know also the power of his resurrection at work in the groanings of this world. And we will also know the fellowship of his sufferings as we lay down our lives for the sake of others. 
So the goal is to know Christ and the manner in which this takes, takes place according to Paul in, in verse 10 is it takes place in conformity to his life as a servant. Do you want to know Christ? Of course, that includes spending time meditating upon and, and, and dwelling upon his word. Of course, that spends time seeking him in the privacy of your own closet and crying out to him. But most of all, it means laying down your life for other people. And in that conformity to Christ's death, he will manifest himself to us more deeply and more fully. Some of us, I know, walk around in our Christian lives wishing for something more. We wish that we had just some, some it was more real to us. Some days, you know, it feels so distant. And we'll quickly turn to the next book or the next popular speaker or we'll download a sermon or, or we'll... And I, I just want to suggest to you that one of the things Paul's saying here is that to know Christ, that, part of, that, that this way of knowing him is, is actually to just to go out and lay your life down. To join him. Mark 8, we read it tonight. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. To lose your life and find Christ manifest to you in a new way. And the result of this, this, this mode of conformity to his death is nothing other than resurrection. Look what Paul says in verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Now, some of you are going, well, it seems like there's some contingency here. And there is in, in the way that Paul has wrote it. There's some mysteries here going on. But there is no doubt, there is no need for a lack of certainty that the resurrection of Jesus will be our resurrection if we are united to Christ by faith. And yet, this is not some kind of metaphysical drama that's taken place that means nothing to the world in which we live. But this life and this resurrection is worked out through the extraordinary, excruciating, banal, ordinary circumstances of our daily lives which take on great meaning. So what Paul's saying here is that what he is assured of in Christ Jesus by faith now is going to be worked out in and through him on the stage of human life that will bring him to this place of resurrection from the dead. The goal of knowing Christ leads to full and permanent embodied life in the new heavens and the new earth that God will make when he returns. The goal of increasing my status and human achievement ends in death. What's the goal of your life? You started there with that question. What defines and shapes your consciousness, your day in and day out living? Is it to know Christ Jesus, your Lord? Is that the singular focus of your life? It's this singular focus that leads to the missional life of laying down our lives for the sake of others. And this is what we see in Paul's very life, in Jesus' life and in Paul's life, as he empties his life and finds himself in a Roman prison cell.
for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. And this is gain. This is treasure. This is abundant life. And this is ours by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. It's not just to read about. It's not just to theorize about. It's to experience together in Christ. Amen.